If you've got a Bible, would you turn to 2 Corinthians? Sorry, I don't have any page numbers to tell you, but hopefully your Bible has a contents at the beginning and you can find 2 Corinthians. And if you don't have a Bible, there are loads on the shelves at the back. Feel free to help yourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Two Corinthians chapter five, we're going to start reading at verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Last week, Thomas Chun told us a bit about an idea we have for the church, and I just want to, well, I'm going to say really the same thing as him again and try to reinforce it. So we were considering putting on an evangelistic event in May, a bit like one of our summer barbecues, but we thought instead it would be better to do this, to encourage you to, in May or June, have some sort of social event to invite unbelievers to. Not we put on a big event here, but you think of something, a social event that you could invite unbelievers to. It might be your neighbours, it might be friends, it might be work colleagues, could be all sorts of people. Now, that's what we're wanting to do, make May or June a, a time where we focus and encourage each other to do that. It's not that we're saying, oh, people at Hollywell are having nothing to do with unbelievers. We've got to really get them to do this. I know that many of you are already doing things like this. That's great. But take this as an encouragement to keep at it. Or maybe a prompt that could you make May or June a time where you push the boat out a bit further? Maybe try to push it a little further. 
Could you invite some other Christians around at the same time as you invite some unbelievers around? It's helpful for unbelievers to see Christians together. It may help with promoting conversations that get a gospel opportunity. So, have a think, what unbelievers could you work at your relationship with? Who could it be? Then have a think, what sort of occasion might be, might be helpful with them? Uh, there's all sorts of variety. It might be invite them to your house for a meal. It might be go out together for a meal. It might be just come round and have a cup of tea. It might be, let's go for a picnic in Bradgate Park. There's all sorts of options. Have a think who? Have a think what? Have a think what level the friendship is at. Is it an initial one and this is going to be just first steps at trying to build a friendship? Is it beyond that and you could go a bit further and ask them a bit about what they believe? Is it one where it actually it would be useful to introduce them to another Christian, so invite another Christian along as well? There's all sorts of different options. But we're just trying to encourage us as a church to think this way and there's nothing special about May or June. Well, I hope it might become special, but it's not May or June have something special about them. But let's use this as a time to encourage each other to work at those relationships with unbelievers and our witness to them. We're going to be saying more about it throughout April and having a think about it, particularly at our home groups later in the month. And if you want to just ask about it, then t I tell you, what, Thomas, in case some people don't know who you are, just stand up for a moment. If you want to hear some more about it, you can ask Thomas as well. Now, we've got our creche and our children's group about to start. So parents, if you want your preschool or um, what is it, year reception or year three children to go to those groups, they can now. While they're going, just a few notices. I think I've got three notices. This Thursday evening, we're not meeting here. We're meeting with Rothley Baptist Church. An organisation called the Christian Institute has, is going there and talking about their work. It's an organisation that I think its strapline is something like representing Christ in the public square, in the media, in politics, with social issues. And they'll be giving a report on their work. So... Come along to Rothley Thursday evening. The notice board in the entrance hall has got a map to show you where, and it says the time, because I've forgotten the time. It's something like 7.30. But look in the entrance hall and it tells you time and place. That's this Thursday. Out in the entrance hall also, you see our Easter cards. There are loads of them there because we need to distribute them around the area. So please take a few bundles. They tell you on the bundle what road to deliver them to, and you just fold them in half, put them through people's door, and they're getting an invitation to church and a gospel message. So please do help us with getting those out. I'm told that we're restarting refreshments after church this morning, after waiting for two years. So... I was also told it's a trial. <laughs> I hope it doesn't mean a trial in a negative sense. 
but I hope it means that we are just bear with us as we try it out. And they'll be served apparently from both hatches of the kitchen. So you can go to either hatch, the one from the lounge or from the entrance hall. But I think you really then need to move on quickly because otherwise it will just be traffic jam. So please bear with that and move on quickly and we'll try to work out a system. I think that's it in terms of notices. So I think we're going to now sing praise for God saving us. God of grace, amazing wonder, irresistible and free. Oh, the miracle of mercy, Jesus reaches down to me. God of grace, I stand in wonder, as my God restores my soul, his own blood has paid my ransom, awesome cost to make me whole. God of grace, who loved and knew me long before the world began, sent my Savior down from heaven, perfect God and perfect man. God of grace, I trust in Jesus, I'm accepted as his own. Every day new grace sustains me as I lean on him alone. God of grace, I stand astounded, cleansed, forgiven and secure. My fears are now confounded, and my hope is ever sure. God of grace, now crowned in glory, where one day I'll see your face. And forever I'll adore you in your everlasting grace. I've just finished reading this book. I don't know if you can see the title from where you're sitting. It's called Being the Bad Guys. It said good and that's been sort of overwritten with bad. Being the Bad Guys. Then it says, how to live for Jesus in a world that says you shouldn't. How to live for Jesus in a world that says you shouldn't because this book tells us, be realistic, we are now the bad guys. And the world doesn't, isn't neutral towards us. This book shows We're regarded as the bad guys, the haters, the bigots. Christians are the divisive people. We've got to face it. That is our society's attitude towards us. It's very different from 50 years ago. And it's sad that's the case because the Christian message is not one of haters, bigots and divide people. 
The Christian message is all about reconciliation. It's a message of God's love, such love that he wants to be reconciled to us. Let's see that now in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Would you turn back to that in your Bibles? And again, if you haven't got one with you, then just uh, there's, help yourself to one from the shelves because it will really help you to have 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 18 to 21 in front of you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'll read from verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And, sorry, lost it. Let's start again. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That was written 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Paul, telling us God's message of reconciliation. I simply want to tell you that message of reconciliation this morning. I'm simply going to tell you about reconciliation with God, because I don't want anyone to go away from here this morning not clear on how to be reconciled to God. Well, actually, let's put that better. I don't want you to go away just knowing about how to be reconciled to God. I don't want anyone to go away this morning not reconciled to God. Not just knowing about it, but I don't want you to go away not reconciled with God. Now, if you are already reconciled to God, then Paul tells us here what he calls in verse 18 his ministry of reconciliation. Now, none of us are apostles like him. None of us are going to write part of the Bible like him. And probably none of us are church planters around the Mediterranean like him. But I do hope if you're a Christian, you have some sort of ministry of reconciliation. What I mean is that you want to be part of the church making known what verse 19 calls the message of reconciliation. I hope you know the message of reconciliation and you want that message spread and for you to be part of it spreading. So I hope this morning will result in us being amazed at and confident in and eager to tell this message of reconciliation. So let's get four things from these verses. Here we go, four things from these verses. First one is, you need reconciliation. You need reconciliation. Verse 18 says, who reconciled us? Verse 19 says, God was reconciling. Verse 20 says, be reconciled. They all say we need reconciliation with God. Now, why is that? Let's have a think. When is reconciliation needed? And children, if you're listening and wondering what that long word is, hopefully this is going to show you. 
a mother and a daughter have a close, loving relationship and they enjoy being together, well, they don't need to be reconciled. Because reconciled means a relationship is broken and needs to be mended. Two friends at school. One hears a rumour that the other one has been saying bad things about her behind her back. And the friendship gets broken, even though the rumour was untrue. She never was saying bad things about her behind her back. It's all a misunderstanding, but it breaks the relationship. Reconciliation is needed. A husband forgets his wife's birthday. Oh, disaster. He gets her nothing. He does nothing. He is in the doghouse. It's a mistake. But reconciliation is needed. Now, I hope those give you some flavour of when reconciliation is needed. Not when the relationship's all fine, but when there's been, let's say, a misunderstanding or a mistake has broken the relationship. With us and God, reconciliation is needed, but it's not due to a mistake. And it's not due to a misunderstanding. What has broken the relationship? Have a look in verse 19. There's a word in verse 19 that tells us. It's not because of a mistake. It's not because of a misunderstanding. It's because of sin. Verse 19 says, God reconciled us by not counting our sin to us. We'll think about that later, but first see, what's broken the relationship is sin. Children, what is sin? Don't answer out loud now, but have a think. And can you remember a children's talk months ago that Barclay did? Well, he said sin, think of the three letters, S-I-N. He said sin is like this. It's saying, shove off God, I'm in charge. No to your rules. You remember there was a children's talk and he said, sin, you, you won't say these words out loud usually, but your sin is saying, shove off God, I'm in charge, no to your rules. Think about it when you sin. When you sin, you do something that God has said not to do. What are you doing? You're saying, God, get out of my life for the moment. I'm going to do this because I'm going to do what I want. And your rules are not going to restrain me. What an attitude to your creator. What an offence, what an insult to the God who made you. No wonder the relationship is broken. And so we need to be reconciled to God. But it's actually a two-sided breakdown of the relationship. It's broken down from both sides. Now, we are the responsible ones because we are the ones who've broken the relationship by that terrible, shove off God, I'm in charge here, no to your rules. We're the ones responsible, but from God's side there is a reaction because he is judge and he is king and he is, as we sung at the start of the service, holy. That means in his perfect goodness, he hates all that is wrong. And that makes reconciliation not just a nice thing to make us feel warm, but a necessary thing to escape punishment. The Apostle Paul, who here tells us in our verses we're looking at, God is so loving, he wants us reconciled. 
In fact, he says, did you notice verse 14 we read? He says, Christ's love compels us. He says, the love of Christ is so amazing, it grips my life. But he also says, verse 11, did you notice verse 11? Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. He says, I also know God is king and judge. And I also know it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And have him against me. And so we try to persuade people, be reconciled to God. Now, this is what the gospel is all about. It's not about us feeling self-fulfilled. It's not about us having a better worldview and a set of morals to be our foundation. It's not about helping the troubles of life. All those things are wonderful side effects of the gospel. You do get them from the gospel. But they're side effects. Because first and foremost and above all, the gospel is about dealing with our sin so we are reconciled to God. There's the first thing. Here's the second thing. God was reconciling. There's the second thing. God was reconciling. Verse 19. Let's read it again. Verse 19. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. God took the initiative to get reconciliation. Now, this is amazing. This is amazing. We have said, shove off God. Every time we've sinned, we've effectively said, shove off God. And God has taken the initiative to mend the relationship. Let's try to get a little feel for how amazing this is. A bit like this. Children, what makes you feel sick? What makes you feel sick? Maybe it's some food that makes you feel sick. In our house, we used to have some Harry Potter sweets. Some of them were ordinary, like chocolate flavour and strawberry flavour. Some of them were earwax flavour and worm flavour. And you couldn't tell which one you were having until you tasted it. You couldn't tell. Were you going to get a chocolate flavour sweet or an earwax flavour sweet? I can tell you they were disgusting. Yeah, they'd make you feel sick. Is there a food that makes you feel sick? Sometimes, sadly, other people can make you feel sick. When you see a hospital bombed in Ukraine or a theatre that's sheltering people, shouldn't it make you feel sick? Shouldn't sin make you feel sick? Do you know there are people, in the Bible we read, book Revelation chapter 3, Jesus said there were people whose sin made him feel sick. He said to these people, I want to vomit you. You make me feel sick. And then he said, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And I want you to open the door and I want to come in and eat with you. The sign of friendship. I want to sit down at a meal with you. Amazing. You make me feel sick and I want to eat with you. You make me want to chuck and I want to be with you. It's amazing. We've said shove off God and God says, right, I'm going to come and seek reconciliation. Amazing. What did God do? He came into this world in Christ. That's what verse 19 says. God 
was coming into the world in Christ to reconcile the world. Now, what does it mean by the world? Not planet Earth. No, it means humans. It means humans everywhere. It's a word to show us how wide God's love reaches the world. But also in the Bible, the word world is used to mean humanity against God. So it's a word to show how deep his love reaches. The word world says his love reaches wide and it reaches down very low, deep. Don't misunderstand the word in verse 19 when it says not counting men's sins against them. Unfortunately, our English language has changed from the biblical way. In the Bible, men doesn't just mean male, it means the human race. So it's not just males and women are excluded. No, no, it's a word for the human race. God's plan is to reconcile the human race to himself. How? How does he do it? Well, verse 19 again. It says, not counting our sins against us. That's how he do it. Now, what do we do with inconvenient things? We have a phrase, don't we? Children, you might know this one. Sweep them under the carpet. Yeah, we've got a bit of carpet here. And if there's a bit of dirt, I can lift up this carpet and I can just sweep the dirt under the carpet and we can pretend it was never there. That's what we could do, couldn't we? God never sweeps things under the carpet. Never sweeps anything under the carpet. No, because he is good and he is right and everything he does is true. Never sweep away the truth. No, and the truth is we're sinners. We've said, shove off God. And the only way, well, how can it be not counted against us? Verse 19. He came into the world in Christ so that instead of our sins being counted against us, they would be counted against him. Against him. Children, ever played the game of Uno? Or do you say Uno? Uno or Uno? You know that card game? There's different varieties of it. I've played a game where there's a rule. If you pick up a certain card, you get to swap your hand of cards with someone else's hand of cards. Maybe you've got a bad hand and you guess they've got a good hand. And you get to swap what you've got with what they've got. They get your bad hand of cards, you get their good hand of cards. And that's a big help in the game, but it feels rather unfair because it's forced on them. Well, the Lord Jesus did a great swap. This is what's going on in verse 19. But it's not unfair because it's not forced on him. It's not God the Father sent his son and said, go on, do my dirty work for me. No, Jesus out of love came and did this swap. His good record counted to us and all our sins counted to him. Have you lied? It's counted to him. Have you committed adultery? It's counted to him. Have you had your unborn child killed? It's counted to Jesus. Have you been bitter against someone and kept a grudge going? It's counted to him. Each day you've lived as if God isn't there. It's counted to Jesus. Have you prayed to God as if he's your servant? Or you know that thing, you go in and out of prayer as if he's a nobody and your mind can wander and it doesn't really matter. And it's all counted to Jesus, all that insulting way of treating God. 
Have you cut others down with words designed to hurt them? It's counted to Jesus. Have you puffed yourself up with words designed to show yourself off? It's all counted to Jesus. Have you acted as if worshipping God is a tiresome nuisance or a bore? What an insult to your creator. And it's all counted to Jesus. And he took it all and he went to the cross and he received the punishment we deserve. Now that description in verse 19, that's a description of what God has done, must be followed by the verse 20 appeal, what we must do in response. You get that? We need the verse 19 description, what God has done, and then we need verse 20, what we must do. So now here's the third thing this morning, the third thing. Be reconciled to God. Verse 20, our response, be reconciled to God. Now, have you heard of Philip T. Rieker? Philip T. Rieker, probably not, rather unusual name. Probably not, because he's not famous. And he hasn't done anything amazing as far as I'm aware. He's probably fairly rich, but he's not like one of the celebrities. But if he says, sends a message to Boris Johnson and Boris ignores it, if he says something and Boris just snubs it, there will be an international crisis. Why? He's, he's, he's not some celebrity that you've all heard of. He's not the president of the USA or of Russia. Why would there be a crisis if Boris Johnson ignores him or fails to respond to what he says? Because he is the ambassador for the United States of America. So when he speaks, it isn't just him speaking, he's speaking on behalf of the president. When he sends a message, it isn't just his message, it's the message of the government of the USA. And it must be treated as such. And it's the same in verse 20. Verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. If, like me, you've got an NIV Bible, knock out the though and the were. You see the words though and were, knock them out. Because it would be more accurate to translate it like this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as God making his appeal through us. Not just as though God, it is God making his appeal. It literally actually is God, because that's what an ambassador is like. What you are hearing now is not just a speech by Joseph Pettit. No, it's not. It's not. It's God appealing to you. I'm just the one passing on God's message. I, as ambassador, are telling you what the king of the universe says to you. What does he say? What does the king of the universe have to say to you? He implores you. That's amazing. That's amazing. Children, do you know what the word implore means? It basically means he pleads with you. He says, please do this. He says, come on, respond. Won't you be reconciled to me? That's amazing. I speak on behalf of the king of the universe, and what he says to you is to plead with you. Won't you be reconciled to me? That is phenomenal. Children, students, middle-aged people, elderly People who don't know much about Christianity, maybe you're hearing it for the first time. 
People who know a lot about Christianity. If you're not sure if you're a Christian, if you're sure you're not a Christian, whoever you are, as Christ's ambassador, I am now telling you, God says, I implore you, I plead with you, won't you be reconciled to me? Now, the words of the Bible are very precise. They are God's words and they're precise. Have a look again at verse 20. It says, be reconciled. It doesn't say reconcile yourself. And there's a big difference. You cannot reconcile yourself. You can't undo all those past sins. And actually, if you try it, you can't stop future sins. Often you're powerless. You can't mend the relationship with God. But Jesus came to do that. God has done the work. God has shown himself willing, actually not willing, eager. Willing is too weak. He's shown himself eager. And now he calls on you to simply embrace the offer. How do you do that? Well, simply admit reconciliation is needed because I've said shove off God so many times. My actions have said shove off God. I, I need it. Admit you need that reconciliation. Ask him for it and trust him. Jesus' death did everything I needed. I can trust him that we will be reconciled. Think of that. I'm speaking on behalf of the king of the universe. He could command you to go on pilgrimage to Mecca. He could demand that you take a vow of poverty. He could insist, right, the thing you need to do is two hours of going to church every day. That would not be unreasonable from God. He could say, that's what I demand of you. But instead, he says, I implore you, simply admit you've broken the relationship. Ask me for reconciliation and trust me, I'll do it. That's amazing. Fourth thing. So we've had you need reconciliation. God was reconciling us. Be reconciled. And the fourth thing is you can be reconciled. You can be. Verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, this is a wonderful verse. We ought to really spend weeks on this verse, but we're only going to spend a few minutes because time's gone on. This verse is describing the heart of the gospel. But it's also, in some ways, basically a repeat of verse 19. It's the same subject as verse 19, but filling out some detail. Why? Why the repetition of the same subject? Because if you've got any idea who God is, if you've got any sense of what your attitude has been to God, it will be hard to believe you could be reconciled to him. And you'll need some persuading that it is possible. And so that was, that's what verse 21 is doing. It's following up the appeal with some persuasion. Yes, it is possible. Come on, believe this. And it's doing it by, verse 21 is about the great swap we heard a few minutes ago. That's what it all is, that great swap that I told you just a moment ago. Jesus, the sinless one, 
was counted a sinner. So we, the sinful people, could be counted righteous. That means right according to God's standards. That's the swap. He's sinless, but he's counted a sinner. We are sinful, but we're counted righteous. Now, I've described the swap earlier. So instead of describing it again, to help us understand it, there was a monk in Germany a few hundred years ago called Martin Luther, and he told a story that I think brilliantly gets what's going on here. And his story, untrue story, but it's to explain this, goes a bit like this. A king loved a woman. She was a woman who, she was not suitable material to be a queen. No, she worked on the streets selling herself. She had a bad reputation and she deserved it. She had a bad life. She was an ugly person in every sense. And she was up to her eyeballs in debt. She was in so much debt. Debts she could never repay. No one could understand why the king loved her, but he did. And he married her. He married her. And then the two are one. And all of her debts accounted to him. And of course, he's rich enough to repay them. All of his riches accounted to her and she can enjoy them. She is not queen-like when he marries her. But because she's married to him, she's queen, whatever she's like. And actually, as she lives with him, he will, over time, make her queen-like. Now that is a picture of King Jesus and us sinners. Jesus has got all the legality sorted. And now as his his ambassador, I am saying to you, he offers you his hand in marriage. And we cannot understand why he would love us, whose sins make him feel like vomiting us out. But he does. And he offers his hand. In marriage, and I, as as his ambassador, are here to say, will you take it? You see, becoming a Christian is a bit like accepting a marriage proposal. Because it's saying, the question is, will you go with this man? It's all about him, Jesus. Will you go with this man? Will you trust him? Will you put your life in his hands? Will you become one with him? And then all your debts can be counted to him, and all his riches can be counted to you. Becoming a Christian is not making yourself good enough. It's saying, yes. Yes, I will. And then because he, Jesus, is God, you are reconciled to God.